This episode of Heavy Metal Historian is dedicated to Lemmy Kilmister of Motorhead. Rest in peace, Lemmy. Previously on Heavy Metal Historian, we concentrated on the influence of subgenres such as the new wave of British heavy metal and doom metal. We also examined the controversies that have surrounded metal over the years. Now, we move into examining the emergence of one of the most notable subgenres of heavy metal. Following in the footsteps of thrash, death metal would become a new, integral and critical part of the evolution of the genre. But before it could arise, the seeds for the style needed to be planted. With influences from traditional heavy metal, shock rock, the new wave of British heavy metal, to the crucial steps taken by bands like Venom during the first wave of black metal, or like Metallica and Slayer during the thrash era, we investigate the origins of death metal. Welcome to our 44th episode. I am Greg Davies, your heavy metal historian, and Happy New Year. Throughout the history of metal, several subgenres have become equated to be synonymous with the name of heavy metal itself. Though traditional metal, nawabam, and thrash were some of these styles, in today's age, none is more synonymously associated with heavy metal than death metal. Actually, for many people of this younger generation today, if elements of the components of death metal aren't included in the music, from the thrashy riffs to growling and screaming vocals to the blast beats with double bass, then for them, the music is just not metal. The fact is, death metal introduced a newfound, redefining quality to the overall genre. It made it more extreme, brutal, darker, and in some cases, absolutely offensive to many. It took all the hard-edged elements of thrash and heavy metal, with a touch of hardcore, added all the horror aspects of shock rock. It was an intensification of the genre that is yet to be matched in modern times. While death metal has since evolved into a wide range of substyles since its appearance in the late 1980s, its inception relied on pushing what had once been considered metal to its logical extremes, and then surpassing beyond those extremes. The idea and style of heavy metal to that point had been defined by the likes of Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, and then further expanded by Metallica and Slayer.
But the death metal groups boldly attempted to redefine their vision of the style, and it was an effort that would have major influence on heavy metal overall for the decades that would follow. Death metal didn't just surface during the 1980s. There were many elements within music and metal overall that arose to cause the ideas and concepts to arise, influences and musical ancestries that contributed to the eventual rise of the subgenre. And it all began far earlier than you might consider. The influences towards death metal also included many pre-metal inspirations that contributed from a variety of styles of music. And with death metal focusing deeply on concepts of death and horror, the explorations of such subjects came to evolve in one of the biggest influences towards death metal, the murder ballad. Although nobody really knows when the idea of a murder ballad came about, there is documented history suggesting the style was well known and popular as early as the 1600s. The concept was of a traditional ballad that follows a story describing the events of a murder, sometimes including the build-up to the event or the aftermaths that followed. While some murder ballads were often penned in dark humour, most were often sombre, horror-based topics. It became a popular style of music that is still played to this day by the likes of musicians such as Nick Cave. But the murder ballad was not the only inspiration from before the 20th century. In fact, the earliest influence can be traced back to the 10th century, and that is with the origins of the growling vocals. While the singing style was popularised with the rise of death metal during the 1980s, it was actually documented by an Arab merchant visiting Denmark during the 10th century, in which the growling choruses of the Vikings were seen to be horrifying. The original quote from the document reads, Never before had I heard uglier songs than those of the Vikings in Schleswig. The growling sound coming from their throats reminded me of dogs howling, only more untamed. It is thought-provoking and perhaps fated that the vocal style of the Vikings would eventually make its way into death metal. This, in and of itself, almost ironically, would make its way into the stylations of modern Viking metal, including with outfits such as Amon Amarth.
But the growling vocals would not only be used in history by the Vikings. It would be later used in performances around the world based on the conceptualization of the play or an opera, frequently used to be a vocal representation of Satan himself. The most well-known of these plays was Ordo Virtutum, an allegorical morality play from the 12th century by Hildegard of Bingen. Still performed to this day, the role of the devil is presented in a style called Strepitus Diabolic, which is often taken to mean a low or growling voice. From the murder ballads of old to the rough sounds of the Vikings and to the depictions of the devil in morality performances, the next phase of influence towards death metal would be in the music of the 20th century. The precursors of metal would play a huge role in the future of death metal. Elements of folk music, blues and jazz would all present themselves in some way or form in the style through the years. However, the key element of these styles that pushed forward was in the rise of rock and roll music. The early stages of rock and the eventual rise of progressive rock would also form to be a massive layer of infrastructure for the beginnings of metal and eventually for the advent of death metal. From the works of Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Little Richard, The Beatles, Chuck Berry, The Rolling Stones and many more came a trailblaze which would lead to the creations that would establish the style of death metal. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. I was around when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain. Me damn sure the pilot washed his hands and sealed his face. While the styles of folk, blues, jazz and rock were all significant in the evolutionary development of death metal, the point of ground zero for the style would be in the emergence of heavy metal itself. In the days of early metal, artists like Led Zeppelin, Blue Cheer, Uriah Heep and Deep Purple would all have major impacts on the musicians that would develop death metal sounds. But out of all the innovators from the early metal days, it would be Black Sabbath, that would leave the most lasting impression on the future death metalers. A universal metallic influence, Black Sabbath studied darker themes surrounding the occult, religion, horror and death, accompanied by deeper and thicker sounds. 
Simultaneously, another subgenre would lay a great deal of groundwork for the emergence of death metal, and that would be shock rock. Beginning with the darker voodoo stylizations of Scream and Jay Hawkins and crowning in the hell and nightmares of Alice Cooper in the 70s, shock rock would be part of a missing link that helped consolidate the idea of death metal. But out of shock rock, the main influence would be Kiss. Complete with theatrics, the musicians of Kiss became larger-than-life characters via makeup and costumes, and it would be in the persona of the demon portrayed by Gene Simmons that a lot of the early death metalers would find inspiration. Simmons' demon was a darker creature than the other three members of the group. The demon was the next logical step of evolution from Alice Cooper's character, but much more based in the gory glory of classic horror movies from years gone by. The influence on future death metal musicians would be seen in covers of Kiss done by the bands, such as with a variety of versions of the classic God of Thunder. other songs from the Demon in Kiss would be of great value to the death metal musicians as well, such as in Almost Human, Radioactive and Killer. The singing style by Gene Simmons bordered on almost growling, prophetic for the vocal sounds that would come from the death metal bands. The influence, in retrospect, permeates throughout much of Gene's work in Kiss during the makeup years. However, the Demon character would also sometimes rear its head during the non-makeup era of the band as well as heard in songs such as Unholy and Not For The Innocent. Well, I'm a 
Along with shock rock came the influence of horror stories as well. Death metal artists would find incredible inspiration from the spooks and frights of all elements of horror, from the classic novelizations of Stoker and Shelley, through to the contemporary depictions of slasher films involving the likes of Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, and more. Perhaps the biggest horror stimulus towards death metal, though, would be the more gory films, particularly those involving body horror and splatter concepts. The graphic nature of the movies were of note, from films such as Altered States, The Thing, Reanimator, investigating the horror and humour of the human body in gory art form. Movies like the Evil Dead series would eventually also find life in death metal music, as in Evil Dead by Death, or Dead by Dawn, by Diocide. We are the things that were and shall be again. <laughs> Stats of the book. We want what is yours. Life.
Beyond the art form, though, contemporary stories of real horror in the form of murder tales or serial killers also would be a big source of influence. While the thrash artists explored some of these darker stories too, they also looked deeply into social and political issues as well. Death metal, on the other hand, from its beginning, would be the subgenre that would look far deeper into both the psychology and gory aspects of these real horrors, from tales of the Manson family, to the terrible story of Ed Gein, to a psychological fascination with modern killers like Dahmer or Ted Bundy. What do we have here, Ken? Let's see. You always say an indictment, all right? Why don't you read it to me? You're on bond for election, aren't you? Mr. Bundy got it, didn't you? Mr. Bundy told me that you told him that you were going to get me. He said he was going to get me. Okay, you've got the indictment. It's all you're going to get. Let's read it. Let's go. Theodore Robert Bundy, you are charged. Indictment, two counts burglary, two counts murder in the first degree, three counts attempted murder in the first degree. Design or intent to affect the death of said Lisa Lee. My chance to talk to the press. Contrary to section 78204, Florida statute. I'll plead not guilty right now. The Delk Is he? Beyond horrors of reality and fiction, however, with death metal it continuously came back to the music, specifically with relation to the technical aspects of heavy metal. As metal began evolving from its early days and into its more classic stylizations, an emphasis on musical proficiency began to emerge, particularly with regards to guitar work. This would have a lasting factor of motivation on death metal dozens of years after its formation. Meanwhile, however, traditional metal would shape up to have a massive influence on the eventual growth of death metal. Following in the footsteps of Black Sabbath, Judas Priest moved forward, becoming the first group to embrace the genre title of metal to describe their own sound. On the flip side, groups like Motorhead would also appear, becoming a considerable influence on a wider range of styles, from metal to punk, and with Lemmy's vocal style, like Gene Simmons, becoming a big inspiration 
for the development of the death metal growl. As metal continued to evolve, the later steps into the genre would also progress to become huge motivators for the future death metal musicians. The rise of the new wave of British heavy metal revitalised the scene and also expanded the underground tape trading network among metalheads, with bands like Diamond Head and Tigers of Pantang gathering huge followings. But out of all the Nawabam bands, Iron Maiden would have the greatest impact on death metal. While the early street-sounding Paul Deano years of the group were of some influence, it would be the more progressive approach of the Bruce Dickinson era that would be of major impact. Although Dickinson's vocals were not indicative of a death metal influence, it would be within the confines of the musical craft work of the band where future musicians found relevance. Combining the guitarists Dave Murray and Adrian Smith along with the brilliance of bassist Steve Harris would foster a focus on more technical playing in conjunction with a hotter sonic ambiance.
Even though Maiden and the new wave of British heavy metal movement would have a lasting inspiration on death metal, the future musicians like their thrash counterparts would find relevance in punk as well. The early punk labors of Ramones and the MC5 were of solid influence, but the more misbehaving vibe of the early English punk from the likes of the Sex Pistols, the Damned and the Clash would be of more bearing. And yet, it was in the follow-up subgenre, Hardcore, which found more weight with the future death metalers. Artists like Black Flag, Discharge, The Exploited, Minor Threat and the Anti-Nowhere League were all of importance to the future bands of the death metal scene. After all, it was the first style of music to embrace the origins of the blast beat. The blast beat, while technically attaining its origins as early as in 1950s jazz, would be an element of drumming that would, in conjunction with double bass, be of great relevance to punk and hardcore. Bands like DRI, the Dirty Rotten Imbeciles, would eventually incorporate the element into their sound, pushing their musical identity from the realm of hardcore punk and more into the realm of crossover thrash. Elsewhere, the roots of extreme metal began to coalesce as the emerging sounds of early black metal began to appear. Championing the idea and sound in the beginning was UK's Venom, the first group to adopt the extreme imagery of satanic metal and forcing it into the faces of the general public. Firmly influenced by the ethos of shock rock, Venom's revolutionary music in songs such as Black Metal and In League with Satan would be key moments in metal history that would be of major significance for the future death metal musicians, and Kronos's guttural shouting vocal style was noticed as well. In the intervening time, other bands in the first wave of Black Metal exuded bearing as well, such as with Swedish outfit Bathory, and with the Danish band Merciful Fate, led by singer King Diamond. However, one of the key bands to help push the future of both black metal and death metal forward was Celtic Frost. But before they were Celtic Frost, they began as the band Hellhammer. And to this day, the early works of Hellhammer are cited by contemporary black metal and death metal artists alike as holding key influence over their own musical development.
out of all of these early metallic influences, the whole evolutionary process leads inevitably to the style of metal that would be considered by many as the prototype for death metal, and that was thrash. While the thrash metal that emerged from the San Francisco Bay Area and from regions in Europe was not exactly death metal, the formation of the thrash scene was the necessary step before the emergence of the style. Its influence on death metal was of extreme importance, both in terms of sound and in terms of attitude. Thrash was also the culmination of similar musical ancestors. Both thrash and death found valid persuasion from styles such as shock rock, nawabum, blues, jazz and hardcore. In many ways, thrash was the natural first step after those influences, and death metal would be the logical second step forward from thrash. Groups like Anthrax, Exodus, Testament, Overkill and Megadeth would shape the formation of death metal, while Metallica, the kings of the Bay Area scene, would have a massive effect on the future scene as well. Despite the fact that Metallica took the lion's share of success from the thrash scene, the biggest influence on the development of death metal from the scene would actually come from Slayer. Founded in 1981 by Jeff Hanneman and Kerry King, Slayer took heavy cues from bands like Black Sabbath and Venom, embracing somewhat of a satanic style imagery in their very early days. This variation in approach to their musical identity gave Slayer a uniqueness that appealed to a great deal of fans. Their lyrical concepts explored far darker and gorier subjects, including death and religion, than any of the other thrash bands. In fact, works from albums like Rain in Blood and Seasons in the Abyss cemented them at the time as being the most extreme of the thrash scene. And this would have a key impact on the emergence of death metal.
Moving forward, though, it would be another San Francisco thrash outfit that would become the band to bridge the gap between thrash metal and death metal. Originating from the Bay Area in 1983, the band Possessed was formed by Mark Torreo and Mike Suss. Featuring Jeff Becerra as front man, the vocalist would take the aggression of Slayer and Venom and begin to foster the more guttural singing style that would take death metal by storm. The group would be the first to coin the phrase of the genre, entitling their first three-track demo as Death Metal. After being featured on local compilations and in the underground tape trading network, Possessed would eventually be signed to Combat Records, through which they recorded their album Seven Churches. This seminal release was a turning point in the history of heavy metal, and was an indication that things were changing. The Seven Churches record was the signal of transition, of the evolution from thrash metal and into the now emerging style of death metal. Possessed taking the foundational steps into the beginnings of death metal, it would be another guitarist that would cement the style into existence. Chuck Schuldiner came into the scene, and is frequently credited as the originator of the subgenre, or rather, the godfather of death metal. He founded a new band named Death, the name of which would also strengthen the success of the metal style's name. He formed Death in Florida in 1983, and borrowed heavily from the sounds of early thrash, the first wave of black metal, and hardcore. Combining techniques like thrash and speed guitar playing with the double bass and blast beats on the drums, Schuldiner's death would develop a sound unique compared to anything else at the time. By 1987, the band's musical identity was sharply honed and demonstrated as such on their landmark debut release, 
screen bloody gore. Shadowing in the footsteps of the thrash bands and in the landmark work created by Possessed and Death, new bands began to appear that were also embracing the expansion of the new sound of death metal. These new pioneers of a new subgenre of metal took formative steps in cementing a new style of extreme metal that would become an enduring part of metal overall. Out of Tampa, Florida came Obituary and Morbid Angel, both founded in 1984. As the thrash scene was flourishing, both groups became largely influenced by it, as well as by bands like Death and Possessed, pushing forth their own musical development as well. Much later, and elsewhere in California, the band Autopsy also appeared, formed in 1987, picking up the steps forward into the new death metal age.
Meanwhile, another new subgenre of metal began appearing in the United Kingdom. The sound was similar in overall tone to that of death metal, though was far more influenced by hardcore punk and crossover and experimentalism. Grindcore would be a scene that would become tangled with the history of death metal, and as time would progress, both styles would become far more crossed over into both territories. Napalm Death were unquestionably the founders of the grindcore sound, and feel, pushing for shorter blasts of angrier sounding metals, heavily driving inspiration from hardcore. Much later, the early days of grindcore outfit Carcass would also prove to be important in the scene and also to death metal at large. Both groups would eventually become significant outfits, evolving into more prog territories that would influence both future grindcore and death metal artists alike, as well as towards offshoots of both subgenres. With the establishment of works from the likes of Possessed, Death, Obituary and Morbid Angel and the emergence of the grindcore madness of Napalm Death and Carcass, it was evident that the scene had changed forever and that a new generation of heavy metal was arising. As glam metal fell out of favour and grunge became the new popular scene, thrash metal fans began searching for further alternatives, ones that were far more aggressive and brutal than they'd previously looked for. As well as the continuation of thrash and the emergence of groove metal, the fans also found the sound they wanted in the form of death metal. It had the gore and dread of shock rock, the aggression of thrash, the attitude of traditional metal, and the new guttural vocals in combination with the double bass and blast beats. And though the first pioneers of death metal provided much brutal enjoyment to begin with, it wouldn't be long before the likes of Cannibal Corpse and Diocide and others would push the subgenres into its rise. But that is a story for another time. Because now it's time for a prehistoric mosh. Many genres of music were evolutionary influences for the emergence of death metal. Two elements from history that were massive inspirations for the development of the scene were murder ballads and shock rock. From the godfather of shock rock, Screamin' Jay Hawkins, we take a look at the murder ballad She Put the Whammy on Me for this prehistoric mosh. Influenced by murder ballads from eras gone by, the performance by Hawkins fits firmly within his formative years of shock rock, but also features a vocal performance incorporating guttural rudiments similar to the death metal ground that would arise years later. Let's take a listen. I met a big woman with eyes of fury and a voice his heart stone. 
bow she get me mm, Couldn't live without me Said to you Her mojo bone She put the whammy Take a look at this week in metal news. Ian Fraser Kilmister, otherwise known to the world as Lemmy, the founder of Motorhead, has died. After a few years of recurring health problems, Lemmy was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer and had been given two to six months to live. He passed away quietly two days after the diagnosis at his home in Los Angeles on December 28, 2015. Lemmy founded Motorhead in the late 1970s after leaving the band Hawkwind. Defining the band as his interpretation of rock and roll, Motorhead would move on to become one of the most influential bands in the world, leaving a legacy that would inspire metalheads, punks and rockers alike. Lemmy Kilmister was 70 years old. It is now official, the Guns N' Roses reunion that has been rumoured for so long is finally happening. Well, sort of. Original members Axel Rose, Slash and Duff McKagan will be joining forces again as the band headlines Coachella in 2016. While nothing else has been officially announced for after the Coachella performances, it has been rumoured that the rebooted Guns N' Roses may follow up with a world tour with a slim chance of a new album to come much later on. Former TNT vocalist Tony Harnell has left Skid Row. After previous singer Johnny Solinger departed from the group, Harnell joined the band but has now announced his own breakup with the group after having been their frontman for less than a year. 
No word is out yet on who will be replacing Harnell, but rumours are speculating a few possibilities. So watch this space. New wave of British heavy metal legends Diamond Head have announced that they are releasing their first new album in eight years this March. The self-titled album features new vocalist Rasmus Bonn Anderson with song names such as Bones, Shout at the Devil and Blood on My Hands. Italian heavy rock group Lacuna Coil are also developing a new album and vocalist Christina Scabia has stated the group are reintegrating more growling into the vocals on this release. Currently in the recording process, Lacuna Coil is aiming for a May 2016 release and the album is titled Delirium. Hard rock legends The Cult are back together and have a new album on the way with a new song to check out. The upcoming album, entitled Hidden City, is scheduled for release on February 5th, 2016. Produced by Bob Rock, well known for his works with Metallica and Motley Crue, the new album features the song Hinterland. The band has put out a new video for the tune, which is now streaming online over at YouTube. Also coming back are the Australian band Wolfmother, well known for their stoner rock-infused approach to the classic rock and metal sound of the 1960s and 70s. The band's new album, Victorious, will be released on February 19, and a new track from the CD, Gypsy Caravan, can now be streamed online at YouTube. Coming out of the ashes of the broken Immortal lineup, frontman Abbott has finally arisen with his new band, simply called Abbott. The new outfit has a new self-titled album on the way, scheduled for release on January 22, and a preview of the song Ashes of the Damned can now be streamed online. And in the first unusual news report this episode comes from former Wasp guitarist Chris Holmes, who claims in a recent interview that Lemmy refused to allow him to join Motorhead. Why? Holmes claims that this was because Lemmy believed the guitarist to be too good for the band, and that he would overshadow and upstage Lemmy. The tall tale has been scoffed at by fans across the world, believing that Holmes was using the news of Lemmy's passing to promote his own music. It sounds to me that all that drinking and the drugs has made Chris's brain a little mushed. And finally, a 33-year-old man in Madison, Wisconsin, named Christopher Gambuck, was arrested on Christmas Eve after throwing a beer bottle at a bartender who changed music in the bar from Black Sabbath to a Christmas song. Although Gambak is facing criminal charges, metal fans around the world rejoiced at this hero's actions for standing up for metal during the festive season. We salute you, sir. Someone get this man another beer. Links for the news can be found in our show notes for this episode over at heavymetal666.com, and if you come across any important or awesome metal news, please share it with us over at reddit.com slash r slash metal news. On the next Heavy Metal Historian, we resume our journey into the phenomenon of death metal. After the formative years of the subgenre, it would be a long time before the style would become synonymous with the term metal, but the advance of the style featured many bands from Cannibal Corpse to Diocide, bringing new elements to the table. Additionally, death metal would also spawn a vast range of substyles that further defined it as the evolution of the subgenre would become integral at large. From original death metal to technical death metal, and from melodic death metal to blackened death metal and beyond, we check out the rise of death metal. 
Subscribe to Heavy Metal Historian at iTunes or Stitcher. Like us on Facebook or follow us at Metal Podcast 666 on Twitter and on Tumblr. Email us at metalpodcast666 at gmail.com if there are subjects you'd like Heavy Metal Historian to investigate or recount, or if you have any questions you would like for us to answer on a future episode. We'll catch you on the next Heavy Metal Historian, Ales and Horns, and until next time, we will close out this episode in tribute to a great man who was not only a huge influence to death metal, but to music overall. Lemmy Kilmister, the main man of Motorhead, passed away on December 28, 2015, and his death was a major loss to the metal community around the world. While this episode is technically about death metal, it wouldn't feel right to close out without a tribute to Lemmy. And moreover, if it wasn't for him and for Motorhead, there might never have had been a death metal to begin with. Inspired by rock and roll and devising his band Motorhead as a rock and roll band, Lemmy's work would move on to inspire the future of heavy metal and the future of punk. In fact, Motorhead are one of the few outfits that modern rock, modern metal and modern punk all point to as a common ancestor and influence. He was a major advocate for young artists coming up in the rock and metal and punk worlds and was especially supportive of women in the music scene as evidenced by his work with Girl School, Wendy O. Williams, Doro Pesh and more. His impact on the music world on the whole is perhaps best summed up by his contemporary Alice Cooper who wrote, He was innovative, true to his art and continually relevant even though he never cared about being relevant. On this first Heavy Metal Historian of the Year 2016, for our closing headbanger, we pay tribute to the great man known as Lemmy. We are forever grateful for his music, his sense of humour, his support of the world of heavy metal, his insolence, and his influence. Rest in peace.
for some reason, they want me to answer people's problems. <laughs> well, it'll be unorthodox. The first one is a real killer, boys and girls. It's a real letter, too. I didn't believe them, but they showed it to me, and it's, it is, apparently. It says, I happen to be a 16-and-a-half-year-old. What is an accident? <laughs> Headbanger and guitar player for six-and-a-half years. Ah. I do groups... Wait a minute. Sixteen-and-a-half. Start when you're ten-and-a-half. Yeah, all right. I do groups like Metallica, Slayer, Iron Maiden, Testament, Megadeth. No motorhead, I see. Love, hate, just about any good kick-ass metal band. My problem is that since I'm black, other blacks put me down and say that I'm a disgrace to the colour. Tell them to shove it, boy. Jimi Hendrix did all right, remember? It pisses me off because my dad feels the same way. Most of the time we just tell these people to die off, but I don't know how to handle my dad. My mum is real cool about it. Well, women usually have more sense than men, tell it. But what should I do about my dad? Uh, I'll write you a letter, man, because you might not be watching the TV because there's white people on it, you know. Being like that about another colour is the same as Hitler was about being Jewish and about other colours. You cannot be just one colour. If the bloody thing is ever going to work out properly, then we all have to intermarry and screw each other blind and, and get to be coffee-ish. But then we'd still find people that were lighter than those guys, right? You can't win with that one, but you can win by just doing it. Tell them to go to hell, right? They want to keep you safe and warm in the, in the black community. And if the black community can't handle you, shove him. Go someplace else. Little Richard, when he had his first hits, was ostracized completely, an outcast by the blacks. They all said, oh, he's sold out. He didn't sell out. He was playing the music he liked, and white people liked it. You know, should you be penalized for giving people joy? Screw them. Do what you want.